Minoka Bible Church. We are in a series called Rooted, and this series is all about just kind of identifying what it is that we believe as a church and going from there. Uh, figuring out basically what do we believe, why do we believe it, and what difference does it make. Now the thing that I'm going to talk about today is slightly controversial. I mean, and by controversial, I mean controversial. I don't know the last time that you've ever felt like, seriously, I straight up want to kill this guy at church. Like, literally kill this guy at church. Have you ever felt that? When was the last time you felt that? I mean, outside of last week. When was the last time you felt that? Okay, now, you may say, like, seriously, I literally, literally want to kill this guy. But there, in history, in Christian history, what we're about to talk about today is so controversial that people not only said, I literally want to kill you, and they meant literally figuratively, but they actually literally wanted to kill someone over it, and they literally did. The thing that I'm going to talk about today has split up families, it has divided people, it's even caused people to leave their country of origin to find a new country. That is the intensity of what we're talking about today. After this service, you might be super offended about what I'm about to say. You, and, and I would say, um, <laughs> no matter what stripe you come from, no matter what, what religious backdrop you have, what flavor of Christianity, the topic of what we're tackling today within our Articles of Faith, what we believe as a church, has got the level of offense that, is, again, cr- throughout Christian history, has caused people to want to murder each other. So if we get out of this service and all you... R is like bummed and offended and disagree with me, I'm going to consider that a win. Because as long as we're not ending up in like the killing zone, win. Okay, so what we're talking about today, the thing that's so controversial is baptism. And you might be thinking, come on, this is not that big of a... No, it, it is, it really is. But not only is it, it has the potential of great offense, but this thing of baptism also... I believe it's one of those things that whether you come from a Catholic backdrop or a Baptist backdrop, we have gotten this thing wrong. That we have been on the wrong side of, of our stance on this and not the scriptural side. And, and I'm, we're going to unpack that as we go forward. And so today what we're going to be talking about regarding baptism, what do we believe and how does that belief make us? Again, we don't make our beliefs, our beliefs make us. And, and how does that change us? How does that transform our thinking and the way of our, our mental this day-to-day life? How does baptism impact Tuesday? And then what do we do with multiplying? Like if this is true, how do we pass this on to someone else? So the first, uh, let's just go ahead and read what the church believes. Uh, Manuka Bible Church, this is what we believe. This may not have been your backdrop. Even uh, there's Christians that disagree on this, but this is, as a church, what we have within our articles of faith. We believe that Christian baptism is an act of obedience following a person's salvation. It is the immersion of a believer in water that testifies of their faith in the crucified, buried, and risen Savior, and their union with him in death to sin and resurrection to new life. It's also a sign of fellowship and identification with the visible body of Christ. Baptism is not a saving act of grace, nor is it necessary for salvation. The New Testament biblical pattern is salvation, baptism, and association with a local church. And so let's go ahead and just get that first section, the red section up there at the top. We believe that Christian baptism is an act of obedience following a person's salvation. Now again, this is, Christians disagree on this one. Uh, this is something that, and some of you may still be kind of working on this, like, I don't know where I stand on this. This, just to have a brief history, like a historical walk through where, where do people land on this and why, it's honestly, when we look throughout Christian history, the, the, the model of baptism following a person's salvation, that's the only model that we have, that we see um, on record until the early 200s. In the early 200s, that when we, we believe, that's the first recorded account where we start seeing babies or infants being baptized. Do you know why? 
Because if you know, I'd love to know. Because no, no one really knows why. No one really knows where it starts or why. Um, and that's the thing. Like, like I would, my friends of mine, my, I've got family members that are Lutherans, and I've got friends that are Catholics, and, and, and Baptists, and everything else. And we're all talking, like, so where did this start? We're like, well, we don't really know. It's kind of always been there. And so there's a couple of possibilities of why. One possibility is that it was a way in the early, um, back, back in the day in the ancient world, child mortality was a big deal. Your kid dies at three. Your kid dies at four. And if you're a Christian who believes that salvation is by grace alone through Christ, and that's from this point of repentance, your little kid never had a chance to repent, and he's gone, or she's gone. And how do you grapple with that? How do you deal with that? And so the, the idea of like that the, the, the church established was like, you know what? By baptizing infants, if they make it that far, there's some type of saving power, some type of special covering over this child that will protect them. And that put parents at rest when their kid did die at three or four. That's a possibility. Another possibility is that it was a tribal thing. Um, ancient world, you go in and you share some news and it's adopted by the tribal head honcho, the big enchilada, the guy who's at the top of the food chain. Everyone else in that tribe, everyone else in that village follows suit. So this guy hears about the message of Jesus. He accepts it. Whoa, this is huge. And I, I need to be baptized. He gets baptized. And then everyone else is like, okay, everyone, seriously, get everyone. The head honcho did. Let's go all do this. Or you get, yeah, no, everyone, no, the babies do. Come on. And everyone gets baptized. And that kind of is a possibility of where that started as well. Another possibility, and I would say a probability, is it kind of came from when Christianity was nationalized, when it became the state religion within Rome, under Constantine. When, when we have the, the nationalization of Christianity, no longer are you sharing good news with some type of a, a believing adult or teenager or child that has a point of coming to realize, I need Jesus as my Savior, I repent, then I'm baptized. Instead, you have like the next, that, that's the first generation. But the next generation, they grew up in that. And when you say, hey, everyone in this country is a Christian. We are all Christians by birth. You're, you're a citizen of Rome and you're a Christian. The way to signify Christianity was baptism. And so it was very easy for everyone in the nation to go, well, you know, we don't really need, really need to baptize adults or, or teenagers or kids anymore because, well, we've always been a Christian. I mean, I was born as a Christian. I'm a Roman citizen, aren't I? And so it became very, so you see the amount of people getting baptized that are adults or believers going down because you really didn't need to. It was already taken care of when you were an infant. So that's kind of why, why we see that starting or possibilities of why we see that starting. But the only church that, that was in existence um, up, to the, up through this, this period was, was the Catholic Church. If you're here and you're a Christian, you stand on the shoulders of Catholicism. You, you can't like kick it to the curb and say, hey, no, this is who you are. We're standing on the, the shoulders of Catholicism. The, the, the affirmation of the risen Christ and the Trinity. This is all coming from this, this church. It was the only Christian church. And, and over time, um, in the 1100s, um, the, the church, our church, our forefathers in the faith said, you know what? We, there's certain things that have saving grace. If you do this and you're saved. And one of the things in the 1100s in the Middle Ages that they said saved you was baptism. And so when that baby is baptized, it's saved. And you can know it for sure that that child is saved. You can have the assurance of salvation simply coming from that act alone. Well, there's a couple of Catholics in the 1500s that didn't agree with that. They were like, you know what? I don't know. Like, the more I'm reading the Bible, I'm not seeing that there. And so these Catholics said the best way to be Catholic is to go back to Scripture and say, let's, let Scripture speak into us. And, let, let, you know, let, you can't say that something saves you that is this act over here because the Scripture says that there's not, there's not one single act you can do that will warrant salvation. 
And so these guys were kind of kicked out of the club for a little bit. And instead of be, and they wanted to just be good Catholics, but instead they were saying, you're following Martin Luther. You guys are no longer Catholics. You guys are Lutherans. And everyone who was in the Lutheran camp's like, man, what a lame name. Why, did, why couldn't we get a better name? Catholics sound so much cooler. And so the Lutherans are out here. And they're saying, you know what? When a person is baptized, um, that's not saving them. But... There's something really special about baptism. And so what Luther said was, you know what? We're going to keep on baptizing babies because there's, it, this isn't saving grace, but it's like a means of grace. Like if God knows who's going to be saved anyway in advance, well, we could baptize all the babies in our church and some of them are going to be saved and some of them won't. But the act of baptism isn't saving them. It's just kind of confirming the fact that they will be saved at some point if God has chosen that child. Well, within that whole group of reformers that Luther was a part of, there's another branch that branches off called the Anabaptists. It said, well, hold on a second here. Like, if we're supposed to be coming back to the Bible, Luther, I, I, you, you, you nailed that. I mean, you, you're right on the money, but we don't see babies being baptized in the Bible. Like, why don't we, like, why don't we, like, just recognize that this is believer's baptism, and let's get baptized again. That's why they were called Anabaptists, because that prefix, Anna, means again. And so, like, let's get baptized again. And Lutherans and Catholics and everyone else that was in the community are like, you guys are idiots. Why would you want to get baptized again? Well, because we see it in the Bible. It's a believer's thing. I couldn't make a decision when I was a baby. Like, oh, no, this is, you're messing with stuff. And so these Christians, Catholics and Lutheran Christians. Now, I've got Lutherans in my family. I know some of you guys are Lutherans. So I'm not, I'm talking to friends here. But Lutherans went and hunted the Anabaptists. Like, they, they had what they called Anabaptist catchers. Which, and I'm, I'm not kidding, this is messed up stuff. It's like a long metal pole with like this barbed end that you would put on the person's head and drag them. And you would either drag them to a fire um, stack where you could burn them and say, hey, here's your third baptism, Anabaptists. Or they would drag them to the nearby pond and say, you really want to be baptized again? No sweat. You still want to be baptized? You still want to be, is this still, you still affirming this? Yeah, okay. And they were drowned. So this is like, it's, we have a, again, that's why I'm saying if we just walk out of here offended, this is awesome. All right. So that you got Anabaptists. What Anabaptists said is the best way for us to be Catholics, the best way for us to be followers of Jesus in the one church is to be, if we're going to go forward following Jesus, we have to be the type of people that are going backwards to understand what is it that he called us to do. Because Jesus said, go out into all the world making disciples and baptizing them. Why? It, well, let's understand what Jesus was saying. And from scripture, what these guys found out was that in the very beginning, baptism, the, the disciples that took Jesus' command right before he went to heaven, took that to heart. They, this is what happens. Peter goes out and he proclaims the good news of what Jesus did on the cross. And people are heartbroken. Like, we, we, it's our sin that put Jesus on the cross. What can we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. And so we understand through Peter, what he's saying is, look, this is not just for the grown-ups. This is for the kids. This is for anyone who can come to the point of repenting and being baptized. Anyone who's, who's repenting, who's coming to that realization of, I am a sinner and I need what Jesus did on the cross to forgive me, to start the new life in me. That person, that person is someone who's ushered into the kingdom. And the indication of that is being baptized. And so, the, so there's no age limit. What's, what age should a person be to get baptized? As long as they're old enough to recognize that they need to repent. Recognize that Jesus is the only answer. 
and they could put their faith in him, that repentance is, is what, what is the indication that grace has started, and then baptism is a way of celebrating that reality. Not only do we see that it's, it's for everyone, but we also see that it's immediate. Um, Philip is, after the resurrection, the disciples are disbanding. They're running everywhere because the persecution's hitting. They're telling people about Jesus. And Philip runs into this um, ambassador from Africa who is up, he's a Jewish guy, who is up in the city of Jerusalem celebrating Passover. On his way out, he's on a chariot, and he's like trying to check out, you know when you read when you drive? Or the person who's driving, you're reading, you don't even, yeah, okay. But he's, he's not driving, he's reading this, this scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. And as he's going through it, he's kind of confused. Philip sees what he's reading and he, and he jumps in and butts into the conversation. Then eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And so how long did that take? From the point of him recognizing that Jesus was the answer to his baptism. How, did it, I mean, did he have to, was this like when you purchase a gun, like there was a waiting period? If, you know, the eunuch had to fill up some paperwork and then get approved and, and go through. Did that happen? How long did it take? It was instantaneous. Because again, he wasn't qualifying himself for baptism. The Lord qualified him because the Lord saved him. Because he was saved, all of a sudden he had access to this. And it was this immediate opportunity. If you're a Christian and you have not been baptized yet, I want to just challenge you. Man, what are you waiting for? At any point in this service, you can just take your notes. You can just write on your notes, I'm going to be baptized next time there's a, a baptism at NBC. You can go to... You can go onto our website, manukabible.org, front slash baptism, and sign up there. Just totally disregard what I'm saying. Just jump on and do that at any point in the service. But as we're talking about this, we have to come to a little bit of a deeper understanding of what is going on here. This baptism thing. What are the physical components that you need for baptism? Physically. Thank you. That's pretty much it. Water and people. All right? Water is something that when we look throughout the Bible is, is a very, very, it's an interesting, interesting symbol. So if you've got your notes, we're going to have a little bit of uh, art time here. When I was growing up, I could not sit through a message without drawing. My ADD was firing on all eight cylinders. And so what I want you to do is, uh, in order to help you, if you're anything like me, stay in on this and understanding what this is saying. Let's go ahead and talk about some symbols here. Just go ahead and first off draw this, like, this boat. One of the things that we see in scripture regarding water is that it is not a very good metaphor. It's not a, a symbol of goodness. In the beginning, in the Genesis account, we see, you hear that God is saying, in the, in the Genesis account, that God, before God actually got his hands in on the creative process with the world, it's describing the world as formless and void, and something covered the entire planet. What was it? Water. The Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the water, but before God really got into the good stuff of what he was doing in creation, it's describing that environment as being formless and void. So before God had a chance to really get his creative, creative juices going on it, it was formless and void and water's description. When, when God wants to punish, when God wants to punish the, the whole world, how does he punish the whole world? In a flood with Noah. 
Okay, so water for the ancient world was not something where like people have these nostalgic memories of going to the public pool and learning how to swim with floaties on their arms. There was no, it was something that killed people. You didn't have Tom Skilling letting you know when like if you're out on the lake when all of a sudden like things are going to get crazy. Because back in the day, you could be on a lake and everything is peaceful and calm and all of a sudden out of nowhere, the waves are starting to go and all of a sudden the storm hits and you see family members die that way. Water, bodies of water for the ancient world was scary, sketchy things that you only engaged if you had to. And so you see, it uses a metaphor all throughout scripture. God helping his people understand, yeah, that's kind of like, this is kind of like sin. Water's kind of like the chaos of sin. It's kind of like before I get a chance to actually impact something, that's, you can describe it by like water, the way water is. When, when Moses is, is liberating his people, what stands in the way of their liberation? The Red Sea. What does God do? He splits it. All of a sudden, you fast forward into the New Testament, and you have Jesus. And Jesus decides to start his ministry in an area called Galilee, where they just so happen to have a lake. And he just so happens to take all of these Jewish kids who are land lovers, who are not all fishermen. Hey, you know what? Let's get into a boat. Really? The water's unpredictable. You never know when a storm's going to come. Oh, no, that's cool. It's all right. And he gets them in a boat, and you see Jesus doing stuff like walking on the water. This thing that they're so terrified about. This thing that's chaos and everything. And Jesus is walking on it, freaking them out. He, they thought he was a ghost. And then there was this other scene where he has all of his disciples get into a boat. This is great. I love this. And all of a sudden, because again, no one was watching the AccuWeather, a storm kicks up. They got, on the, the, they got on the Sea of Galilee at an inopportune time. And all of a sudden, everyone is out here on the boat. And Jesus is doing what while everyone else is freaking out? He is sleeping. How is it that you can sleep when the chaos of sin is all around you? Why, is this, why are you at peace when everything in your world is getting rocked? And they wake him up. Aren't you terrified? Aren't you worried about dying? And what does he do? He stands up and in a word, he silences it. All of the chaos, all the, all the, all the uncertainty of, of sin silences it with the word. And what, is, what do his disciples say? Who is this guy? Who is this that can silence, that even the wind and the waves obey him? In baptism, one of the things that we are seeing is that when you see someone get baptized, what they're affirming is, you want to know about my life? My life had the chaos of sin in it. My life had the brokenness of sin where everything was uncertain. But then I met Jesus, and he's greater than that. He's more powerful than that. He's actually the type of person who, in a word, can silence the punishment, the ramifications, eternal ramifications of sin in my life. This is baptism. Now, the, the thing about Jesus describing people to, or telling people that they needed to be baptized, this was an interesting thing too. Because this was like a Jewish, uh, a Jewish uh, rite of, of conversion. If someone was going through Jerusalem and they wanted to give, they, wanted, they all of a sudden, they, they've been worshiping lots of different things. But, but now they're hearing about the one true God. The way of converting to Judaism, the way of converting and, and showcasing that you are now part of this one true God was to be baptized. And it was, it was something that in the Jewish faith you did, that was like your, your entry right of saying, I was on this team over here, but now I'm on team God. Over here I was, I was, I was pagan, I was worshiping everything else, but now I'm on his side. And so what they would do is they would, they would actually dunk people in a nearby river. The word baptize, and is, this is why we believe this right here. It leads to why we believe to this right here. Baptism, it is the immersion of a believer in water. It testifies of their faith in the crucified, buried, and risen Savior and their union with him in death to sin and resurrection to new life. 
And so the word baptize, I mean, when we think about baptize, we think that it's this very sacred word. And the truth is that it's, it's a common word. Um, it comes from the word baptizo, uh, and which comes from bapto. So I want you guys just to go ahead and draw. Like, I want you to draw in that one circle right there. I want you guys to go ahead and draw like a bowl of salsa. Okay? Now, let's say that we're after, actually they're not open today, but let's just say sometime during this week, we go to Hacienda in Shanahan. And if you go with me, you better get your own basket of chips because I love the chips and I eat tons of them. And when I take a chip and, I, and I've got a bowl of salsa, what am I going to do with that chip? I'm going to dip it in there, right? I'm going to dunk it in there. Why? Because I just, I, I, I just I, I hate chips. I, I just need something to mask. No, because there's something that's amazing that happens when you dip something in good salsa. Now, the word baptize means to dip. That's, that's what baptize means, to dip. And it wasn't a, originally a sacred word. It was a common word. It, 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 just like if I take a, a chip at Hacienda and I dip it into salsa, the purpose is it looks like this right now, but I dip it into the salsa and it comes out looking totally different. Tons of flavor. And it's like radically different. That's the whole point. So, I mean, to use the, the biblical words and the, and the language of Scripture, if you're at Hacienda and you have a chip, what are you, if you're using the original Greek, what are you doing to that chip when, you, when you're putting it in salsa? You're baptizing it. Now, some people are like, oh, that's just, you just went too far. <laughs> Let me just tell you. This is where they got the word baptize. They would, t- like, let's say um, Bill's shirt's like a, a teal, aquamarine, bl- blue. Let's say blue. Blue shirt. Let's say that someone wants a, a blue shirt like Bill. So what they would do is they would, take, they would take all the fabric, and it's all natural color, like brown and off-white and stuff like that. It just looks like, like it came right out of the loom. All of a sudden, they take this, and they've got this bucket. And, they, and in this bucket or this basin, they've got this blue dye, this beautiful blue dye, because they want this shirt to look like Bill's shirt. So they take this thing. It looks naturally like this. But all of a sudden, this natural thing, when it gets dunked into the dye, when it gets dipped into the dye, when it gets baptized into the dye, it comes out and it looks totally different. I mean, everyone could see that it's different. I mean, before it was just natural. It's like, but now it's this. And people started to pick up on the fact where they would take this very common word and say, you know that common thing that we do in baptizing our clothes? That's kind of like what happens in our life when we meet God. When we meet God, we come in and we have just a word, the natural, like just this is where, and all of a sudden he does something in us where he transforms us and everyone can see it. It's like we're baptized by him. And all of a sudden that became a great way to showcase there has been a change in my life. And so, so this concept of baptism is, is, and so churches do different things. I mean, some churches sprinkle, uh, other churches, whatever, they do different, uh, they pour. But the reason that we baptize people by dunking them is because that's what the word means. That's what, what Jesus did with his disciples. And we think that it, it's a really great picture of the fact that when someone goes into that water, they are dry as a bone. And when they come back out, they're soaking wet. And everyone can see it. Here's the cool thing. The immersion of a believer in water testifies, in water that testifies of their faith in the crucified, buried, and risen Savior. When you see someone get baptized, they're standing there. They're dry as a bone. And all of a sudden, they go down into the water. They go down into the water. And that's signifying their death. Death because of sin. Death to themselves. But they don't stay down. If we, if we kept people down in the water, we could never do another baptism at this church because we would all be arrested. But we don't keep them down there. They come back out because they're not only saying, I'm, I'm aligning myself with the death of Jesus because of my sin, but also the life of Jesus because of his resurrection power. 
I, I'm not just dead to sin. I'm now walking with him. And that is a picture that we see in the immersion. And when, when, when Paul's talking about this, he's, he describes the transformation that takes place in a Christian. In Romans 6, 1 through 4, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace shall increase? By no means. We are, no, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. There's a reason they're drenched when they're walking out because we want uh, the picture, the picture that we believe was right back from the beginning in scripture, that there's a change. There's been transformation that's taking place in this person's life and they want to let everyone know they made that decision on an earlier date, but everyone here gets a chance to understand this change is happening and it's all encompassing. Not only that, but we also see uh, the next section. Actually, we're going to skip over the green section and go down to the gold. Baptism is not a saving act of grace, nor is it necess- necessary for salvation. Now, if you, grew up, you, you may have grown up, there's, there's Christian denominations and Catholic denominations, and they look at salvation as necessary, uh, uh, baptism as necessary for salvation. That if you don't get baptized, you're, just, you're, you're not saved. That, that this, this is saving grace in it. On the flip side, my upbringing, you may have had more of like a Baptist upbringing where it was kind of like, well, there's, there's, no, this doesn't save you. It's not, I mean, it's a good idea because Jesus said to do it, but if you do it, it's okay, but it's kind of extra credit. Only the real spiritual people get baptized anyway, so don't worry about it. That's one end of the spectrum. It's necessary for salvation is the other end of the spectrum. I think that what it is is more in the middle of that. Is baptism a symbol? Absolutely. Is it massively important? Yes. Let me tell you what I mean. Just kind of, this is a, an example that helps me out. If it doesn't help you out, then um, don't worry about it. You could blame Jason Domingo or someone else. Oh, man. Why is it that after you get married, your fingers get bigger? I don't understand why that is. The only time I ever take my ring off is when I talk about baptism. Now, this ring, I, I got this ring on June 13th, 1998. You know how I know that? Because it's written on the inside right here. <laughs> so helpful. On June thir- Some of you were there on June 13th, 1998, when I got married to my wife, Julie. And on that day, we, we pledged our promises to one another that we were going to be married. And I, and I got this. This is a symbol. It's just a piece of metal. But, it, but, it's, but it's a powerful symbol. Now, if I, for some reason, took it off, forgot about it, flaked on it, whatever, and it's gone... If I, if I lost my ring, am I still married? If Julie never gave me this, would I still be married? Yeah, why? Because June 13th, 1998 happened. It's a date on the timeline of my life. This doesn't, doesn't make it happen and doesn't stop it from happening. So if you're a Christian, that's because there's a point where you crossed over from death to life. That date happened. Baptism is not something that, that will make that happen or stop that from happening. In fact, um, the th- in your notes, I think it's in Luke 23, you have the account of the thief on the cross. We know that baptism isn't necessary for salvation because when the thief on the cross proclaims his trust in Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, you know, I'm so glad to hear you say that, but if only you would have said that before you got up here on the cross, or if only someone could bring some water over here to be baptized, then you could be saved and we could be with me today in paradise. He doesn't say that. He says, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Baptism didn't blockade him. And so we know that baptism is not something 
It's very much like a wedding ring. It's not something that's going to make you saved or keep you from being saved. However, and this is to my Baptist friends and myself and my upbringing, baptism is far more important a symbol. Just because it's a symbol doesn't mean that it's, it's not worth anything. If I was the type of person, and you, you do whatever you want with your wedding ring, guys, but if I was the type of person, just for me personally, I wear this wedding ring because I, I'm really, really proud of the fact that that date happened, that I'm married to Julie, that from that, it's a constant reminder of the covenant uh, that we had on June 13th, 1998. If I was like walking into places where I was like, there's a lot of people around that, um, that maybe I didn't really want them to know that I was married. And when I go into different settings, I would take my ring off just to hide the fact. Not because of work or anything else like that, but, it, but just if, like, if, I was, if I was going to like, you know, the Manuka clubs, because there's tons of Manuka clubs, and I'm like hanging out at the Manuka clubs and I'm taking my wedding ring off because I want people to think that I'm single. I want them to think that a reality hasn't taken place that actually did take place on June 13th, 1998. That would probably say something about my relationship with Julie, wouldn't it? If you're a Christian... And you've never been baptized because you're like, I don't know. It's just, that's kind of humiliating. Why would you want to get dunked in front of people anyway? That is embarrassing. Or, I, you know, I don't really want people to think that I'm a, like, like a crazy religious zealot or something. And this is like for the, the varsity Christians, not for me. I want to encourage you to think of it maybe differently. This is the way that Christ said that we have an opportunity to publicly declare what he did in our life. So this next circle, if you could just go ahead and draw a ring. And think of, think of salvation, or think of, think of baptism as, is it a symbol of something greater? Yes. Is it a massively weighty, important symbol that harkens back to the fact that a covenant took place between you and God? Yes. So it's far more important than, than a lot of us make it. And maybe it's, it's, it's less sacred in saving grace than some of us have grown up believing, but massively important. And we jump over to the section just above this that says uh, it is also, baptism is also a sign of fellowship and identification with the visible body of Christ. For what I, what I want you to do right here is this, baptism is not just an individualistic thing. There's a reason why there's witnesses when you get baptized. At least one other person is witnessing this, at least one other brother. And, and also I think that it's, it's, it's something that has a lot to do with the fact um, that Jesus made a very big point about calling us to be baptized right after being saved. The reason he said go and make, and make disciples, baptizing them. The, the reason that you see Peter right after he proclaims the gospel, he says, here's the gospel and, and this is what we need to do. We need to repent and be what? Baptized. I think that it is for a very strategic reason that has a lot to do with training wheels. I don't know if you grew up, um, if you learned how to ride a bike with training wheels or not, but I did. And I'll tell you what was helpful. I didn't have balance. I couldn't navigate myself on the bike, and those training wheels helped me stay on course so that, that, that when they came off, I would have the balance and I would have the understanding of, of how to navigate this bicycle. Jesus is talking to a group of people that when they affiliate themselves with him, they're going to be murdered. They're going to be persecuted proclaiming that Jesus is their savior is not something that's going to get them a lot of people that are going, yeah, it's going to get them a lot of people going, no, who are fighting them, wanting to kill them, persecute them. And so Jesus tells, as, as far as the formula, the strategy that he has is this, when you are a believer, you are, and after you've repented, get 
baptized. And what, what you're doing is you're, you're coming into a new fellowship. You're identifying not just with yourself, but with a greater family of believers. And that greater family of believers are, are the people that, when, if you've been here, how many of you have been here when we've had a baptism at NBC? Okay. When the person gets into the, into the, the baptismal tank, and then we, we baptize them, and they come up, what is the crowd's response? Yeah, let's do it right now. People like to start to, they start to celebrate. Why? Because they're, they're, they're saying, yes, that's my story too. That's my story with Jesus too. Yes, I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad that you're doing this. I believe that Jesus is, this is just my opinion. You can disagree on this. But I believe that part of Jesus' strategy with baptism following belief, following repentance, is that you have almost training wheels of boldness. That, that you're, you are affirming in baptism, Jesus is real, he is my savior, and my sins are no more because of him. And you're saying that to a group of people who are applauding to prepare you to proclaim the very same message to a crowd who won't. You, you proclaim something in baptism with a group of people that are cheering for you because it's true, which gives you then the gusto when you're going into your work, into your home, into your groups of friends to affirm the same reality, knowing you will not have the same response, but remembering the fact this gave me the legs to do that. This gave me the, the recognition that this truth is not only my truth, this truth is truth. And it's affirmed by all these other believers that are with me, my brothers and sisters in Christ. When the early, after Peter made that proclamation and all those people got baptized, look what happened. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Pastor Jason told me last night, and this is a really good point, you know, when you get baptized in other countries, that's a death sentence. It's a death sentence because you're publicly declaring something that was previously just privately in your heart. But here's the thing, someone had to baptize you. And I believe that, that again, that was like, we're in this together. This is your truth and my truth. We may die because of this. But we're going from this place with the boldness of knowing we're not alone. We're not alone. And so if you look at at what we believe as a church, it kind of finalizes with this. The New Testament biblical pattern is salvation, baptism, and association with a local church. That's what we see in scripture. So that's why we do what we do at NBC that way. But that might be a nice doctrine. What does that do in us? Well, just briefly here, it actually changes every corner of our psyche. First off, in a world where it's tough to trust anyone or anything, I am secure. Baptism reminds me that there is the chaos of sin all around me. It is a topsy-turvy world where I I can't trust my job security. I can't trust even the relationships I have. My marriage is is rocky, but in the world that is rocked by the chaos of sin, I have the security of knowing that there's someone who stands in the midst of that and brings peace. There's someone who has spoken a bigger word than even the devastation that my sin has caused and other sin around me causes. I have security. But not only security, I also have in a world banking their worth on power, popularity, possessions, and moral performance. I'm banking on his ability to cover and complete me. That that this is not just a partial thing that he's doing inside of me. Jesus is not just an application or a nice religious thing I do on the weekends. It's something that actually infiltrates all of me and everyone can see. It is him who covers me. 
It is him who completes me. And I don't have to keep on desperately and pathetically running after thinking that my job or this relationship is going to fulfill me completely. Or, or that, that this, this, this accolade or, or that how many friends that I have or, or, or whatever. That that's what's my ultimate completion. Those things might bring you happiness or value. But Jesus is the one who brings us completion. And we're reminded of that in baptism. When we flesh out our baptism, we see that. We also see that in the lonely world, we are loved and we love. If you've been baptized, you have that opportunity to have that that ceremony. That that reminder, that symbol. You had a chance to experience the reality that, that you are loved this much. Christ loved you. And you had an opportunity to step into it and participate so that's what a relationship's all about. It's not one-sided. The ba- baptism is us having an opportunity to reflect back to a, a group of people. This is what Jesus did inside of my life, and I want to let you know it. In a lonely world, I am loved and I love. And finally, in a progressively isolated world, I am not alone, and I don't need to be afraid. That baptism reminds us that we are part of a larger family of faith. That, that you have people who are backing up your testimony. You have people who are walking with you through the ups and the downs. And you do not need to be afraid. Not one more day. You can be bold. The interesting thing about this is that if you go into any counseling office, or if you, go through, if you just think back on your last month of what did I struggle with mentally, you see what baptism has afforded us. We see that baptism brings to a world that needs security, security. Baptism brings us completion. Baptism brings to us love. And baptism brings to us a freedom from fear. Everything that we struggle with psychologically, anxiety, stress, whatever, Jesus gave us a gift of baptism saying, remember this. Those are all realities around you, but remember that this happened. Have you been baptized? Are you fleshing out your baptism? Are you living it out? Well, the way that, that this gets multiplied let I me mean, actually just, many of you have been baptized, but how many of you were, have been baptized at Minooka Bible Church or through a ministry of NBC? Through a pastor or something at NBC? Okay. A lot of us here. A lot of us here. My, my, my challenge to those of you who may have never taken the step of being baptized is this. I want to encourage you to, first off, if you want to multiply believers, take the step of being baptized and let people watch you. My friend Victor Gamboa, I, I talk about Victor all the time. One of these days I'm going to bring Victor Gamboa, he's going to sit here on stage so you know that he's real. And he's not just a great just illustration that I could bring up, you know, from time to time. But I, I've told you many of, this, many of you this story. But Victor, Victor was a guy who, um, he grew up in a Catholic background, but he, he, he didn't um, understand who Jesus was. Part of that was that he was like, I just hate church. So he was like flying under the radar. He'd go to, you know, CCD and everything else, but he didn't really pay attention to anything. And he, he never really um, gave his life to Jesus until he was in junior high. I meet him and I'm talking about Jesus. And all of a sudden, Victor accepts Jesus and his like faith skyrockets way past mine. He's doing things that freak me out. I'm like, dude, dial it down a notch. Come on. And he's just like, and he's like, no, this is, this. and all of a sudden Victor says, you know what? I, I want to be baptized. I'm like, Victor, dude, you're Catholic, Okay. Your mom is going to kill you. And I got a feeling if she kills you, she's coming for me next. He's like, no, man, I need to be baptized. Dude, you were baptized as a baby. Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I don't remember it. Because I was a baby. And I didn't have a decision in that. And I, and I, I really want to, I want to follow Jesus in baptism. I'm like, dude, your mom is going to disown you. And, and she told him that. He went home and he tells his mom, Victor, if you do that, you're going to be disowned. 
Now, this is the thing. Victor was kind of, his mom was actually his aunt. His, his real mom had left long ago. And so at age two, he was put in the custody of his aunt. So for Victor, this was a very real threat of him could possibly being homeless. With my parents, whenever they said we could disown you, it was just a bluff. Victor, this could have actually happened, okay? And so Victor is contemplating the, the ramifications of this decision. And I said, Victor, Jesus is not going to care if you wait till you're 18, okay? I mean, it's five years. Just wait five years. Wait till you're an adult. Wait till you're out of the house. We don't have room for you at my place, Victor. Come on. Victor's like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm like, this is, why in the world are you doing this? Why are you so rebellious? And I'll never forget that evening. And he got into the, the baptismal at our Baptist church. And my dad was the pastor. And so my dad's up there. Victor shares his testimony, how he gave his life to Jesus. And right before he starts to talk, the back door opens and it's his family. And they're not armed, <laughs> which is a big plus. And they come in, and they, they sit down in the back row, and they're all just like very serious. I'm like, this is not going to be pretty. <laughs> and Victor shares his testimony openly, boldly. And my dad says, Victor, because of your profession of faith in Jesus, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he came out of that water drenched wet, And you couldn't tell it because of all the water, but there were tears coming down his face. And his family applauds. His family come up to him and hug him and embrace him afterwards. It's amazing. Now I say that to you because that's an amazing story. Many of you who have taken that step of baptism have not had that same response from your family. It's been just the opposite. The threat actually materialized and, and you experienced that. I guess what I'm saying is that it's really amazing to see what happens when we follow Jesus, even when we have ramifications. But the boldness of baptism is people seeing what's taking place. Be baptized and let them see you. If you've never been baptized, like I said at the beginning, go to manukabible.org, and then you can just go ahead. And it's basically, this is the easiest way for us to, to know that you're interested in that. And you can go ahead and, and just say, yeah, I'd like to be baptized. And then it'll take you to a page. You can just say, yeah, we've got two baptism dates coming up. We wanted to let you know this, that you could, you could know about this. Uh, on the website, there's, it tells about um, one in January. At the end of January, there's, there's baptism happening. And then the next one is at Easter. And you could sign up for whatever service you want in either of those two times. And if you forget, manukabible.org, front slash baptism, just go to the website and, and click on upcoming, and it's there. Be baptized and let them see you. What if you've already been baptized? My challenge to you is this, then. Live out the reality of your baptism and let them see you. Everything that we just talked about, all the things that Jesus has afforded you in this act, flesh it out. Let it be like a wedding ring that's reminding you of the day that you were saved, and then this opportunity to express that magnitude of what Jesus has done in your life every single day. Let that be who we are as Christians, and let that be what the world sees. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus I thank you that you didn't want to keep our salvation on the down low. You didn't want to keep it um, compartmentalized, but you allowed it to spread. And you, you gave us this amazing gift of baptism to, to make a public declaration before a, a loving and, and supportive family so that we could then go out and, and continue to flesh out that reality to a world that would not applaud, would not support, and would not accept. But they get a chance to see the amazing beauty of your truth. Lord Jesus, we ask you, for the strength of courage to flesh out our baptism, to live it out, 
the message that it, that it speaks to make that clearly, poignantly fleshed out in our anxiety, in our temptation, in our stress, in our grief, so that you get all the glory. We give you the thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen.